receive. Uh, you know, it's just turned off right now, this phone, but it's on pretty well 24-7. And so uh, let's just thank God that God is big enough because we searched everywhere and there's no one like him. He's number one, all right? <laughs> That's what we're singing about. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love. I thank you, Lord, for those watching by Facebook, for those who are watching maybe by television or any other means. We thank you for every need that has been included in the great redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord, that you are my healer. You are our provider. You are our burden bearer. And we give you praise. We give you thanks. We lift up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that you are the same today, yesterday and forever, but you are also the same right now. I give you thanks for that in Christ's name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well. You may be seated. Thank you, singers and musicians. It's great to be here in the middle of summer. People are on holidays. People are wherever they are. Beaches are full today after a long, cold spring, <laughs> you know. But you're here, and I like the air conditioning. Are you doing all right? All right. We want to keep you nice and cool, keep your brain focused, you know. You can hear and you can receive. And so uh, let's get started with a little study in the in the scripture, I have been talking, can you, is the sound all right? Can you hear me in the back? It sounds good to me up here. So is it good to you back there? Just wave at me if it's good to you. All right. Uh, we've been exploring a little bit about the Christ. I call this the grandest vision of all, and you are in it. It is the Christ vision. And we've been uh, looking at it, and, and uh, Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two forty-two, what do you think? about the Christ. And uh, some think that Christ is Jesus' last name. Some have advanced a little bit further and are quick to add that, uh, well, Christ means the anointed one and his anointing. And uh, yeah, that's also true, but uh, it doesn't go very far. And so we've been exploring and considering that possibly we didn't know as much about the Christ as we thought. I like that. I like to be growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. I keep growing and growing and growing, and I expect to keep growing till the day I leave this earth. And so we are, let, let me summarize some of the things we have looked at about the Christ. If you've missed the previous services when I have addressed this topic. So let me just state, make some statements, and I'm not giving you the scriptural backing, though there is a scriptural backing, and in most cases, several scriptures that would uh, support each one of these statements. Uh, Christ is the Alpha. Before all things, in Him, everything consists and is upheld. And that's what the Scripture says. He is the Alpha. He is before all things. And science still cannot explain exactly how everything is held together. How the atoms consisting of protons and neutrons and electrons and quarks and subparticles, what holds it all together. But the scripture says that Jesus Christ was there in creation, that all things that were created were made by him, and he holds it together. Just like the control tower keeps the airport, you know, functioning together. Sometimes it fails, however, but Christ never fails. Then I said nature, number two, from the limitless universe, the ever-expanding universe, to the minutest quark and subparticle declares the wonder of the Christ. 
and we looked at that, we can go to the vastness and the ever-expanding universe. We realize how incredibly small our planet Earth is. And we are just in a rather small solar system. And today they tell us that there are billions of galaxies and trillions of solar systems. And we come from one that is uniquely designed for human habitation. But even the vastness of space declares God's awesome wonder. The heavens declare his glory. But then as we studied, they thought the atom was the smallest and the molecule was the smallest. And then they found those smaller things, protons and neutrons. And then they found quarks. And then they found subparticles under the subparticle. And the smaller you go, the more intrinsic is that complexity of the Christ who holds everything together. And then we have talked about how Christ is the light of the world who lights up the universe and lights the path of everyone coming into the world. On the first day of creation, God said, let there be light. We've seen how the scripture says that all things were created by Christ. He calls himself the light of the world. He says that we are also carriers of that light. Here's the scripture verse, Colossians 3.11 says, Christ is all and in all. Now you will notice there on the screen it says C-O-L 3 colon 11. Do you see that part there? That is a scriptural reference, Colossians 3.11. So immediately when I put that on the screen, prefacing it with C-O-L 3 colon 11, you don't question it because you realize right away I'm quoting from the Bible, right? So, but let's say that I didn't quote from the Bible. I just made that statement on its own. Christ is everything and in everything. If I just made that without clearly noting it from the Scripture, some might criticize me and say, Peter, you sound like you have joined Buddhism or Hinduism. You sound like a pantheist. You, you, you sound like you have slipped off the cl classical Christian faith that Christ is all and in all. You, you might make that argument. If I didn't clearly show first, this is in the Bible. And why would some make that argument? Because the truth of the Christ has become so uncommon and so little taught that I need to say this is clearly what the Bible says. Otherwise, people might say, oh, he, he's, he's, he, he's out, you know, on his own here coming up with some new doctrine. No. Are we pantheist? Uh, no, we, we are more than that. See, the pantheist says that every plant, every blade of grass is God, and God is every plant. But we say something more than that. We say that God, the Christ, is the upholder of everything at the center of the universe. He is the upholder of every plant. And that Christ is all. He is in all and all, but he also transcends all. He is greater than all. That's why Simon Peter on the day of Pentecost when he preached made this interesting statement. He said, God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. I said, well, what's the difference? To most people, it's like Jesus or Christ. Same thing, right? Lord and Christ. I mean, what's the difference? Nope. He says, he has made him both Lord and Christ. What is Simon Peter saying? He's saying the Christ, the Alpha, the Omega, the one who upholds all things is in Jesus. 
But this Jesus is not only the Christ, he is also Lord of all. He transcends everything. He is greater than all things. Oh, that's a good time to say yes if you're, but maybe you're listening so intensely, you can just hold the clapping. Another statement here, at the end of time, everything is put under his feet, under the feet of the Christ, the Omega. Ooh. That's how it ends up. You want to know about the end time? The end time, the end, the end is. See, the book of Revelation does never say that this is the end time. It says these are the things that might shortly come to pass. That's how the book of Revelation starts. Now you're looking at me with that charismatic evangelical look. I see it and I love it. It means you're awake. You're actually thinking. I got your whole being, including your brain, engaged. I said the book of Revelation never says this is the end. It says these are the things that shortly must come to pass. But 1 Corinthians 15 says this is the end. This is the end. That all things are put under Christ. Everything is under his feet. Oh, don't even ask me what all that means. It will take another 15 hours of teaching in our Global Gospel Institute or some other place. But let me just say, that's what the Scripture says. Can somebody just say amen in faith that that's a wonderful thing? Then I said the eternal Christ, well, this is, this is the Christian faith. This is the one thing, the one thing that anybody who has denied this in the last 2,000 years Christians have had a lot of different opinions about a lot of things. But anybody who has denied this has been called a heretic. That the eternal Christ was poured into the body of Jesus 2,000 years ago. That Christ, the one who created everything, who is God, came in human flesh. Whosoever does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. That's the one thing. He came in human flesh to reveal to us who God is. Then I say like this, if the Christ vision is only about one person who lived 2,000 years ago and is alive today at the right hand of the Father, but if that's all it is, it is limited if all we ever talk about is some historical lesson of Christ who lived 2,000 years ago, which is what many think that's all we talk about, it will be of limited interest. You can only go over a story that's 2,000 years old so many times. But here's the wonderful thing about it. It's our story. Christ is all and in all that includes you and when your spirit is awakened we call it being born again coming alive you recognize Christ is in me the hope of glory so the grand vision of the Christ it's your vision it's your story the creative power the wisdom the health and the love and everything the Christ is is in you that's good. Final little wrap-up statement. When darkened minds are enlightened, sin's power is broken, and we discover our identity in the Christ. See, that's what uh, sin, which is the Greek word hamashia, missing the mark. When uh, Adam and Eve missed the mark and went in their own direction, their minds became dark. 
that this is the big trouble. Paul says, I fear that Satan, the devil, will deceive your minds. Your mind, you won't see it. You, you, people think, oh, God's not there, or God is far away. It's because people's minds are darkened. They see God as separated from themselves out there, and they say, oh, God, God, come, come with your presence. They, they, their, their minds are darkened, especially in church sometimes. But when our minds are enlightened to the fact that Christ is in me, Christ is here, he's now, my body, my physical body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm not separated from God. God lives in me. I have a river of life, not that flows from God above, but that flows from my innermost being, rivers of living water because the God life is in me. Then the darkness is gone and I discover Christ is my source. Christ is my identity. Christ is my life. I'm a somebody. I am a free human being because Christ has given me that freedom. I don't have to be enslaved. I don't have to be deceived. I don't have to put up with that kind of junk. No, I'm who I am because of the Christ in me. So I want to connect some of the dots this morning. See how many we get to. The Christ vision removes fear of the devil and darkness, which is very prevalent. The book of Colossians speaks a lot about the Christ. Christ, Christ, Christ is mentioned all the time throughout the book of Colossians. And he says in Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. He's already done it. He's not going to do it. He's not thinking about doing it. He's not going to do it in response to your prayer. He has delivered us. Then it says a few verses later, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things consist. That's quite a mouthful, isn't it? Let's break it down. Christ is the image. An image is an engraved picture, like a mold, if you wish. And so what Paul is saying here, God the invisible, who was never seen by the naked, natural, physical eye has revealed himself in an exact molded image. And that molded image is the Christ. The Greek word for photo is icon. You know, you get the camera name like Nikon. It comes from that word. And so what, 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 is, what are we saying? Who is Jesus? God sent Jesus as a photo, but not a flat surface photo, not a lifeless photo. He sent Jesus and poured the Christ into Jesus so that we would have a flesh and blood photo representation of who God is, the Jehovah and the Elohim, as the Jewish people knew God in the Old Testament, has now come in flesh and blood. And we saw him and we touched him and we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father. He's the firstborn, it said here. But 
it, 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 you notice the wording, he's the firstborn over all creation. And then he says, he's before all things. So he's not the firstborn in the way we think of chronologically. This is the oldest child, and here comes the next child, here comes the next child. Because he was before all things. So the word for firstborn is used in the context of that he is number one in dignity and honor and esteem. Just like Joseph. You know, Joseph was the 11th born son in his family. But he received that coat of many colors, which was the coat of the firstborn. So though he was the 11th born chronologically, he had the coat of the firstborn. And so what it's saying here, because it would seem contradictory otherwise, is not that Jesus is born or created. No, he is before. He is above all created things, but he is still number one. I get such a kick out of reading that because I think of the fellow who wrote those words. You know, Paul the apostle, who used to be Saul of Tarsus. I think about the fellow who wrote this, who gives Jesus the Christ such an exalted high place. 30 years earlier, he thought Christ Jesus was an imposter. He was scum. He was a nobody. Just let him be killed. And now the same man writes and says, he is preeminent. He is number one in the whole universe. Come on, somebody. Lives can change. Attitudes can change. Opinions can change. He's the head of creation. It says here, whether things visible or invisible, powers, principalities, which in some cases were angels who have since become demons and evil spirits, they were created by the Christ. No, the Christ didn't create the devil. He created an angel who made a choice to go down that dark road. But all things are created by him. Think about that. And what Paul is doing here, he's teaching the Colossians. Because the Colossians were like all too many Christians in the world today. They had a fixation on the devil and demons. And Paul describes it this way. He says, you have been, in Colossians, you have been delivered from the basic elements of this world. That was a common thinking at that time. The basic elements of the world were fire, wind, water, and earth. And they believed that evil spirits could attach themselves to a material piece, a piece of wood or some other thing in a home or a family. They believed that the basic elements of the world was where demonic spirits took a stronghold. This probably sounds like some of the teaching you've heard lately. Not in this church, but wherever you listen to. Right? And he makes it so laughable. He's saying, this is laughable, Colossians. That you think you, that the power of darkness, that principalities and powers have any authority at all. After all, they are created by Jesus Christ. Do you think he's scared of what he himself created? And furthermore, when he went to the cross, he triumphed over every principality and power and made a show of them openly. And here you think that you are in some spiritual warfare with the basic elements of this world? 
Oh, I feel some evil has attached itself to this piece of wood here. I need deliverance prayer. That may be true. A lot of people need deliverance. You know what they need deliverance from? The very thought that they need deliverance. Because that's the trickery of the devil. Maybe you have a very graphic story. I meet people all over the world. I meet people who were sacrificed to the devil when they were young. Not, not a physical sacrifice, but they were dedicated to the devil. I meet those kind of people. And that can be a very powerful thing on your mind. You grow up knowing that and you think, oh, oh, I'm special. There's some, oh, there's some authority that comes against me. You know, I meet these people all over the world. And they're also in our country. Others don't have that kind of a graphic background story. But they feel like I'm wrestling with something that I don't want to wrestle with and I can't break the power. Isn't it amazing when the Apostle Paul addressed this, when he said, the things I do, I don't want to do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. He never mentions the devil once. He never pins one thing on the devil. It's so nice to blame everything on the devil, you know, that you don't have to take responsibility yourself because you're such a good guy. Are you with me? He only says, I was wrestling like that because I was following legalistic religion. But Jesus Christ, who took everything, who conquered principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly. He has set me free. So I am not under the bondage of the basic elements of the world. Because Jesus the Christ, who I worship, he is the head of creation. Come on, somebody say yes to that. And so, so, so people have this devil phobia. Uh, they, they don't see Christ in creation. They think that somehow all these basic elements are controlled by evil powers. No, all things were made by the Christ. Now, when people give their minds to deception, they can become serial killers. They can become addicted to uh, all kinds of sins and vices. They can become slaves under irrational behaviors. Oh, I'm not denying that at all. But the root of it is deception. And that's why I'm saying, you say, when I need deliverance. I say, you got it. When? When can we meet after the service, pastor? No, no, we're not meeting after the service. You say, well, when am I going to get delivered? You are being delivered precisely at 11.38 a.m. this Sunday morning. Right now, I am speaking the word of deliverance to you. If you believe it, you are delivered. But if you want to keep going down this mystical road of religion, and listen to preachers who say, well, I think you got a partial deliverance. I heard just the other day somebody said they thought they got delivered because they burped. <laughs> I don't know what they were eating. You know, I notice if I drink a Coca-Cola, which I hardly ever do, I tend to burp. It's very embarrassing. I never drink a Coca-Cola before I preach because it could, you know, be a... Then I kind of get all <laughs> frustrated, you see. Uh, are you with me? Uh, they, 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 they're looking for the... I'm saying, does anybody ever look at the Scripture? So, so you are delivered now if you believe the truth of the gospel. But if you want to pin every little problem and say, oh, I need some more deliverance. You know, people, some people pretend to cast out devils. I, however, have cast out real devils. I know what it looks like. 
And they said, oh, yes. They're wrestling with casting the devil out. And then they look at you and say, well, there's a lot of spirits in you. Maybe next week we'll deal with the rest of them. You said, the rest of them? I've been here for three hours with you frothing over me praying and there's still more. Yeah, there's entire tribes of them in there. And people, people, you know, people start believing that. They give their mind to that. So I'm bringing deliverance to, if you ever, if you're listening to me, probably not in this room, I don't know, but if you listen to me on television and you say, oh, as a child, my parents dedicated me to the devil and it's haunted you. You have seen yourself as someone who needed something special, something a la carte, something that wasn't, something a little bit more than, than what the Christ has provided. Now, if you didn't get it at 11.38, it is now 11.40 a.m. on the same day. And I tell you, you are delivered. He has delivered you from the kingdom of darkness. You are delivered. You are, you are delivered. And any teaching, false teaching, heretical teaching about the basic elements of this world that somehow you have a little figurine from whatever country you came from and maybe somebody put a curse on that figurine is what I say about it. Who, 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 who talks like that? Only non-gospel people. Oh, don't get me worked up here now. Yeah, see, what Paul is saying, he's the head of creation. Everything of energy and power is in Christ. He is the forgiver. He is the provider. He is the healer. He is the indweller. He is the restorer. Everything is in him. You, you know, when Jesus himself is trying to explain to the Pharisees who he is, really, because he knew who he was, he had to, Jesus broke the rules of correct grammar. He says, before Abraham was, I am, he says. I mean, how can you, that's not even right grammar. He should have said, before Abraham was, I was. That would be correct grammar. But, but Jesus is saying, I am the eternal present in the now Christ. I was begun before anything had begun. I am the unbegun one who was always there and who will be there at the end of time and all things under his feet. So before Abraham was, I am. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm giving you something to think about. So I, I, I deliver you from that mindset of the basic elements of the world keeping you enslaved. They are nothing because they are only created by the Christ. Oh, come on. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Now, can I connect another dot? The Christ vision awakens us to who we really are. Here's something interesting. Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says, He has put eternity in their hearts. There's eternity in people's hearts. There is a, a, an implanted knowing. Some philosophy calls it a consciousness. Some just calls it a soul. You got soul. That, that, that's what makes it so nice to preach the gospel to people of whoever they, whatever religion they have or atheists. Because there's something in them when they hear the way I preach it. 
Now, not everybody. Some of them, what they hear, they don't want to hear. But when they hear that when I'm talking like this, there's something in every person, no matter what their religion, that rings true. It's an implanted knowing. Look at what John said. John 1.21. It's not because you do not know the truth that I write to you, but because you know it already. He said, I'm merely articulating what you already know. You already know this. Something rings true that this God we worship is not as small as we have made God. He is so much bigger. He is so much more than just some events that took place 2,000 years ago. He is so much bigger. Those events are primary and Christ is preeminent, but he's here. He is now. He is for everyone. Look, look, look. In the same epistle, John wrote, my dear people, We are already the children of God. And what we are to be is still to be revealed. And when it is revealed, all we will know is that we are like God. And we shall finally see as God really is. I don't think John is talking about some future time after death necessarily. He says, we don't know what we're going to be yet, but yet John seems to know it. In other words, he's saying, I don't know everything that's going to come in your life. I don't know everything, how it's going to turn out. You are on a spiritual journey, but one thing I do know, you stay on this journey, what you're going to know, even beyond this day, as you grow, what you're going to know is that you are like God. And we will finally see who God really is. That's what I'm doing. That's what we hear on Sunday mornings. To know God better. To grow in the knowledge of the Lord God Almighty and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That we might put on Christ. That we might be dressed in His righteousness, His wisdom, His ability. Oh, praise God. See, see, salvation. It's to discover who you are that you are loved, that you come from God. When you understand salvation the way I'm describing it, you don't see certain parts of humanity way away from God. You see it like Paul saw it when he said to the Athenians who knew nothing. He said, in him, in Christ, we live and move and have our being. Wow. Do you see everybody like that? Do you see unbelievers? Here comes an unbeliever who is actually upheld by Christ. And in Christ, this person moves and lives and have their being. Do you see that person as someone that you're going to help awaken to their true identity? Or do you see it as a bad old sinner that you need to club with your King James Bible in the head to really beat him up with whatever top scripture verse you have that can really scare the hell out of them? Is that how you look at them? Or do you look at here as a person who moves and lives and has their being in the Christ, but they don't know it yet. They're darkened. They don't see it, but they're going to be awakened. They're going to come alive and discover who they really are. That's what we call repentance. Repentance, metanoia, change your mind. It's when you say, oh, I've been thinking wrong about the whole thing. I've been thinking that, you know, I was so far from God and God was out there and I I had to get God to come. Now I see it. He created me. I'm upheld by him. He's actually, he's he's with me. I live and move and have my being in him, but I've been in darkness. I haven't understood reality. I don't know. I don't understand myself. Where am I going? Where did I come from? Why am I here? But now I see it. 
and I change my mind and I say, Jesus Christ, you are Lord. You're not just a philosopher teacher sometime years ago and said some nice things. You are Lord. Jesus the Christ is Lord. Hallelujah. Are you happy? Are you opening people's minds? You know, sometimes we haven't done this. I put this on Facebook just to annoy somebody. I don't know who. But in a loving annoyance, you know, that's my specialty. Loving annoyance. Come on, come on, say it. Loving annoyance. So I give it to you now. You know, Martin Luther portrayed humans or humanity as a pile of manure. John Calvin articulated the doctrine of total depravity. And Jonathan Edwards spoke of sinners in the hands of an angry God. Now, if you don't know who those guys are, don't worry about it. They're kind of influential. In the last 500 years of Christianity, these three, Luther, Calvin, and Edwards, they're kind of influential. That's what they said about humanity. I say, you know, when people say, you Christians, you have kind of a negative message, they got a point, come on. They got a point. You said, now you're looking at me with that charismatic. You don't get this in every church in Toronto. Are, are you with me? Oh, there's not a lot of people only who dare to say the kind of things I'm saying. That's why you like to come and hear me, to be provoked. You love me so much, I see it in your eyes. And I love you so much, I won't hold anything back. And, and so, so if, if, if this is it, I don't remember Jesus or Paul using that language. But if that is it, then what is Christianity? Christianity is just a system of religion whereby we manage the pile of manure. It's just pile of manure management by clergy. That's important one. By clergy in order to hopefully squeeze you in the pearly gates. That's all it is. You're totally depraved. You're a pile of manure. God's just anger with you. And that has permeated 500 not 1,500 years of Christianity. So I put it on the notes there. I said Christianity is not a system of sin management administered by clergy, even as delightful as Reverend Nathan Thurber would be, managing your sin problem for you by periodical weekly prayers and anointings and bestowals of the Holy Communion that we might manage the evil beast that is you and hopefully we'll hold a funeral for you one day and say we manage this sinner quite good and we believe he is now in the arms of his maker. It's a sad, pathetic form of Christianity. I tell you, Christianity is not a system of sin management. It is a new life that comes to you when you discover I'm not who I thought I was. I am in the Christ and the Christ is in me. I live and move and have my being. I have his wisdom, his authority, his hope. I have new life. Are you glad you came this summer Sunday? Think about all the people on vacation, what they are missing. I don't know whether I'm annoying you and you're making you happy. Either way, I'm happy. At least you're reacting. I woke you up. I just give you things that most people don't want to talk about because I'm a troublemaker, but a loving troublemaker. See, some of this has to do with how we look at the first three chapters in the Bible. Genesis 1, 2, and 3. 
Let me tell you, I'm a student of church history. I have read tens of thousands of pages of church history. I'm also a doctor of biblical studies. I hardly ever mentioned that. It was probably five years since I last said that. So let me say this to you. The dominant view of Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3 for the first 400 years of the church was, you know, it's a story about how God created the world, Adam and Eve, and God made people in his image, and then Adam sinned. You know the story, right? The dominant view was we are made in the image of God. This was a phenomenal message. In the Roman Empire, where there were so many slaves, whether you're slave or free, you are made in the image of God. Just because you were born into a slave family, you are no less than someone born in the royal house. You are made in the image of God. God's imprint is on you. You are made in His image. And in fact, when you read the story of the martyrs, the ones who gave their life, you know, who refused to, to sacrifice to the Roman gods, who were given the ultimatum, either you sacrifice to the Roman gods or we will kill you. And when they write about why they refused, they could have just so easily said, oh, I'll just do a little sacrifice here to the Roman God, but I'll go home and pray in the name of Jesus later on. They could have done that, but why didn't they do that? Because it was such a powerful truth to them. I am made in the image of God. I don't have to bow for Caesar. I don't have to bow for the will of the emperor. I am made in the image of God. I'm a free man. I'm a free woman. I'm free to make a choice. I am not an enslaved victim. I am somebody in the image of God. But then, the last, you can put up the last second part, the last 1,500 years, the dominant view from Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3 has not been that one. It has been the sin choice that Adam and Eve made. You are totally depraved. You're just an enslaved sinner. How easy it would have been to refuse martyrdom. Say, well, I just... Sacrifice a little bit to Caesar, you know. After all, I'm a totally depraved idiot anyhow, so I'll go home and just, you know, I'm just this little weakling, this little sissy anyhow, because that's, that's no, they didn't see themselves like that. But for the last 1,500 years, I could give you the timeline, but I won't bother you. That's been the view. We present the gospel to humans in a way that this is to manage the beast in you. We will come to our church because we're the best ones. And we will give you the medicine. And we'll squeeze you through to heaven. See, the gospel is, I'm living in heaven right now, but that's, that's another story for another day. The gospel is this, I have the Christ now. Not one day I shall see him, but he has already shown himself in me. I am bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, and his spirit lives in me. I have Christ in me, the hope of glory. <laughs> see, 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 Christianity is not trying to become something you're not. It's, it's not that at all. No, it's seeing yourself that when God dealt with humanity, he dealt with one individual on behalf of all individuals. I, I just believe God deals with us as individuals. I know what you mean when you say that. But if you really want to look at the big picture, God dealt with one individual, the Christ. 
And in dealing with that one individual, he dealt with every, every individual. Because when he was crucified, we were crucified. He took upon himself the worst suffering, the worst betrayal, the worst of hatred and envy and jealousy that humanity could ever experience. And he was buried and put it away. And he rose again to new life. And in him, we are crucified. We are buried. We are risen. And we have new life. Oh, come on. That's, that's God's plan. But you say, what about the Holy Spirit? Doesn't the Holy Spirit deal with my sins and my failures right now? No. Well, I thought the Holy Spirit deals with all my sins and failures. You thought wrong. You thought wrong. That's not in the Bible. No. The Holy Spirit deals with you about how your sins and failures have already been handled doesn't deal with you with about how to handle your sins and failures, but reminds you that your sins and failures have been handled by the Christ. And Christ now is your life. So whatever area you fall short in character development or in deeds or in thoughts, the Holy Spirit brings you back into the Christ alignment. Because you're in the vision. You're in the Christ vision. Colossians 3.11 says, uh, 3.3, excuse me, you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Hallelujah. You have dignity. You have freedom. I'm almost done here. Are you happy today? Anybody got a handkerchief so I can wipe my brow here? I have a fan. I'm going to go down and look at that, and then I'm going to preach for two more minutes. If you have a handkerchief, bring it to me. Don't worry, this is not going on television, but it is on Facebook, folks. This is what. Thank you, Tony. I'm just going, oh, that's so beautiful. Are you still here? Oh, this is good. I want to just put this with you. The Christ vision is for us to put on the Christ. Romans 13, 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody say, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our response. It says in their little epistle to Philemon, it says, acknowledge every good thing that is in you in Christ Jesus. Put on Christ. You know, some animals shed their skin every year. Snakes do that. And the reason I speak of snakes is because I've been out walking in wilderness trails and I've seen a snake skin that was shed. Kind of looks very frail, kind of grayish, but you can tell it was a snake. So I don't know what, what happens to the snake. I guess new skin is coming underneath the old. Maybe it gets itchy. Maybe he's a little scratchy. I don't know what the snake is doing. He's kind of, and he starts to wriggle himself out of the old, doesn't feel right, this old skin. I feel there's something new underneath that uh, would be plenty sufficient for me. And so the snake wriggles out of the old skin. That's a picture of putting on Christ, you know. That's what happens when Christ lives in you. You say, well, I just fornication and sexual sin and greed and harboring anger and being bitter just I just doesn't fit me anymore. I, I don't know. I used to enjoy hating people so much, but I, I just I just I, I just gotta it, 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 it's itching me. I, I don't feel good about hating. I just used to love it to, to fantasize about killing all kinds of people. I used to love it, but but I I, I gotta 
And instead you say, oh, I see this new skin coming. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faith. Hallelujah. Oh, I got a new skin. See, that's what I say. The Christ vision is live in your new skin. Be who you are, not this pastor. Can I do this? What do you think? Can I buy this? Can I go there? Should I? Forget that boring religious legalistic life. As if your pastor was some wise sage who's supposed to read your, like a tarot card over you. My God. But you know yourself, anything that smells of non-love or condemnation or, you know, it just doesn't, doesn't fit me anymore. I, I, I got to get rid of that old snake skin. And I mean, my new snake skin, nothing against snakes here, as you notice. But uh, we got to get out of this idea that God's blessing is like ordering online, you know. People say, oh, pastor, pray for me. I need wisdom. What do you think is coming with Amazon? You think it comes in a little brown box from somewhere in a warehouse? Well, pray for me. I need to get my healing. Well, what do you think that's coming from? In another brown box? Somewhere from God's warehouse up yonder in the sky? From a spiritual realm that is far beyond it? You think that's what's happening? No. You have the Christ. Wisdom is right there. Healing is there. Provision is there. Right? It's not coming from anywhere. It's not coming from anywhere. You have it. Put it on. Be delivered from that sad, naughty, nasty thought that only prophets, greedy preachers, that you don't have it. So that they can, keep, they can kind of capitalize on this lie. They tell you that you don't have it so they can sell it to you. Give to me and I'll give you a special $500 blessing. But if you can't do that, i only give you a $200 one. Come on now. I know some of you have been to those meetings, wherever they were. That's beneath you. That foolishness is beneath you. Don't fall for trickery. I don't know why some Christians are so gullible for trickery. I said, oh, I'm preacher. He's telling people their phone numbers. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I know my own phone number already. You know how, I mean, that was exposed 25 years ago. How you do that? You get people to register for a conference, an event. You get the phone numbers. Everything is available online. And then you have a radio transmitter next door. And they're talking to the preacher's ear. So-and-so is here from Main Street 37. Their phone number. And, oh, I think I'm hearing something. Oh, Main, Main, Main. Oh, I think it's Main Street. He heard it the first time. Uh, 30, 30, I think it's 37. Oh, it must be God. It must be God. And your phone number is uh, 00000, whatever. Oh, how did he know that? Don't be fooled. Why are you so easily tricked? That was exposed on Johnny Carson 35 years ago. So I wasn't even born then, I know. I was. Hard to believe, but I was. 
come on. It's beneath you to get thrilled about such tomfoolery, stupidity, trickery, little dazzling like a magician, dazzling a little diamond in front. Oh, oh, here I am. I'm a beggar. I have nothing. Oh, I'm in a needy person. Oh, help me. Pray for me. Come on. I tell you, Stand in the name of Jesus. I, don't worry, I'm not, I'm, I just want to command you, but I'm, I'm just doing it, having fun. Come on, stand up right now. 